Imagine you're a fly on the wall at a dinner between the mafia, the CIA, and the KGB. That's where my new podcast begins. This is Neil Strauss, host of To Live and Die in L.A., and I wanted to quickly tell you about an intense new series about a dangerous spy taught to seduce men for their secrets and sometimes their lives. From Tenderfoot TV, this is To Die For. To Die For is available now. Listen for free on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Diosa. And I'm Mala. We are the creators of Locatora Radio, a radiophonic novella, which is a fancy way of saying a, a podcast. podcast. Welcome to Locatora Radio Season 9. Love, Love at first, first listen. listen. We're older, we're wiser, and we're podcasting through a new decade of our lives. This season, we're falling in love with podcasting all over again. And getting to the heart of our stories. We're going places we've never gone before, and we're bringing you along with us. With new segments, correspondence, and a brand new sound. Season 9 is kicking off with an intimate interview with Grammy Award-winning singer-songwriter Natalia Laforcade. What's giving you hope right now? Well, when I see what music does to people it gives me a lot of hope if you liked locatora before you're gonna love season nine subscribe to our show and you'll see why locatora is your prima's favorite podcast listen to locatora radio as part of the michael Cultura podcast network available on the iHeartRadio app apple podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts Danielle Moody here, host of the Woke AF Daily podcast. We've been with iHeart for a year, and what a year it has been. As we head deeper into 2024 and yet another life-changing election cycle, Woke AF Daily is here to keep you sane and woke. Make Woke AF Daily your podcast destination for 2024 election news and analysis. Listen to Woke AF Daily Season 5 on the iHeart Radio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome to She Pivots. I'm your host, Emily Tish sussman One of my goals in starting this podcast is to highlight voices and stories of women who went through something deeply personal, only to come out of it on the other side better than they could have imagined. After launching She Pivots last year, it's clear it's not a small group. This applies to most women, whether it's a big pivot or even just a tiny pivot. What's clear is there's still a lot of unpacking to do around pivoting. So as we're continuing to build this platform and community through new episodes, I wanted to also bring you more stories, unfiltered and honest. So I'll be sitting down with more women, maybe the occasional man, some of whom have mastered their own pivot. Some are just starting the pivoting journey. Or some just have something to teach us about the deeply personal moments of life. So stay tuned for more of these candid conversations this season. This week, I'm excited to share my conversation with Sarah LaFleur from my weekly Getting Down to Business series on Marie Claire's Instagram. Sarah is CEO and co-founder of the popular clothing brand M.M. LaFleur. Sarah is a fellow pivoter who got her start as a management consultant. Frustrated by the lack of women's workwear options that are both stylish and practical, she launched M.M. LaFleur in 2013, and it's been growing ever since. To shop all of M.M. LaFleur's elevated pieces, visit mmlafleur.com. Let's jump right in. Today, we are going to be joined by Sarah LaFleur, founder of M.M. LaFleur. 
So, okay, Sarah LaFleur, you founded M.M. LaFleur, your brand, which is, I think we're wearing it all here, like comfortable, stylish, workwear. How did you get into fashion? First of all, thank you for having me. And I'm not going to lie, I'm having like just a tiny bit of PTSD right now because the last time I did an Instagram live, it was in an Ikea. And I was like, oh, it's totally fun. I'm just going to like sit in one of these corners. It basically looks like my living room. And I didn't realize that the entire time I was doing it, the only thing that was showing was my forehead. And so this time I decided... I was going to do it properly from the office. Um, we appreciate that. And I will be sure to let you know if we can see less than your whole Thank face. Thank you very much. I appreciate it. Um, but anyway, yes. So I started on them, you know, kind of on a whim. I did not have a career in fashion. In fact, I had never even thought about going into fashion before I started this business. I was a management consultant coming out of school. I dabbled in private equity. I just, I, you know, really... I mean, I still honestly don't even feel like I work in fashion, even though that is definitely <laughs> the industry I'm in now. Um, I think the only connection is my my mother used to work in high end fashion when I was growing up, and she was definitely and still is very much my idol. Um, and I loved watching her getting dressed for work, and I always thought of this as like the superwoman transformation process. And she always looked. I mean, she has the best taste and she just always looked so amazing walking out the door. And I kind of thought to myself, that's who I want to look like when I grow up. And when I started my first job and I started shopping for work. I realized just how hard it was to look like my mom. And, you know, a lot of the clothes that I could afford with my salary at that point, it was, it was pretty poor tailoring. The fabric was not great quality. And so I, I was like, oh, someone should do something about this. Someone should you know, come up with better clothing for, for busy working women. I just never thought I would be the one to do it, but I was it, it, at my job in private equity. It was a, not a good fit for me. I kind of ran out of there thinking, I don't know what I want to do next with my life. And I said, okay, I've always had this idea that there should be a business that creates beautiful tailored clothing for, for busy working women. Maybe now is my chance to do it. And so that was over a decade ago. Do you remember what the first piece was that you made? Did you, did you like kind of organize around one look? So I am not the designer, which I think many of you will be relieved to know because you're like, what does this woman who worked in finance know about clothing? And it's true. I, I know very little, but it's my co-founder, my partner, Miyako um, Nakamura. I actually met her through a headhunter of all places. People are, I think, always surprised to hear that because um, it's not usually how many people go about finding their co-founders, but she used to be the head designer at Zach Posen at Jason Wu. She was just incredibly, incredibly talented. And I said to her, you know, I find dresses to be one of the most practical things, you know, it's kind of the adult onesie, right? If you put it on, you don't have to worry about what, what does it mix and match with? And so, <laughs> although I do wear a lot of onesies, I have to say, and you know what <laughs> power to you. I mean, it's like you put it on and five seconds later, you're out the door. So, but yeah, so we, we decided to go with dresses. We said, let's do a line of seven dresses. And, and that is literally what we launched with. We, we made the samples and I think Honestly, that process in of itself took us six months. And then we started selling them through trunk shows in hotels, which sounds very fancy, but honestly, it was like the the, the way we could do retail without actually committing to a retail store. And so we, we hosted them at these hotel suites. We brought samples and then we took orders based on that. And that was really the start of the, start of the business back in April, 2011. So wild. Okay, so this conversation, this public interview conversation between you and I is three years almost to the day in the making That's because we right. were supposed to have met in April, 2020, the uh -huh. beginning of April, 2020. 
M.M. LaFleur was hosting, I guess, a series of conversations of panels, or maybe it was one panel, I'm not sure if it's one or more, that I was supposed to come to and be on, I guess. And I had the third baby mid-February of 2020, and I was so focused on being able to get back to work right away that this panel being or having this conversation with you in April was the thing I was focused on. That I was like, if I can just pull myself together, like that will be me getting myself reasonably back to work. And then obviously we all know what happened in March, 2020, but nevertheless, I continued to hold in my mind that this conversation would be happening at Brookfield's like yeah. in person. And I was like, well, got to pull it together, Emily. You got to do it for <laughs> M.M. LaFleur. You got to get it together. Like it never occurred to me that it was not going to happen. It, first of all, so honored that you felt the need to pull yourself together for moderating one of our panels. So thank you. And second <laughs> of all, having also had kids, I now know that it, it took me at least two years post-baby to feel somewhat put together. So amazing <laughs> that you had that goal. Yeah. And third of all, did Instagram live even exist? No, when I, don't, I don't know if it happened? exists, but we didn't use it. We didn't use it. That's for sure. And here we are like actually having this conversation uh, virtually. So actually pulling it together. But even so at that point, you had been in business for, I guess, probably seven, eight, nine years. Mm-hmm. I can only imagine the impact a work shutdown had on workwear, yeah. a workwear brand. Yes. I mean, what was that like for you guys? It was, it was traumatizing. You know, I think, I think now I'm, I don't know what stage of, you know, recovery I'm on, but I'm at, I think I'm past acceptance and I'm starting to be able to talk about it. But the, the three years of the pandemic, which we initially thought was going to be two weeks, you know, it was so cute. I remember us, you know, putting, notices on all of our stores. I think we had uh, eight or nine at that point saying, we'll see you in two weeks. And unfortunately, all but two of those stores, we actually closed and our revenue took a nosedive. It was a really, really difficult time. 2020 was obviously incredibly difficult. And I think even 2021, um, when I think a lot of people had kind of moved on and and started to think about what does the post-COVID life look like, a lot of people still mostly weren't, you know, back outside. And it really wasn't until 2022 that uh, our revenue started to grow again. And and we started seeing everyone not even go back to the office, but just like emerge and be outside and getting ready to be dressed again, as opposed to, you know, living in our pajamas day and night. And as a business, like internally, we had to, we had to go through a big transformation to say, what are women going to want to wear now? And it looks actually quite different from the way we were dressing back in 2019. You know, I, you know, dresses used to be a third of our business. And I think, you know, talking about how the company started with a line of seven dresses, those dresses really were the bread and butter of our business for the first seven years. And I think through COVID, a lot of people moved away from dresses, you know, pants are really our biggest business now our jacket sales have actually doubled since pre-COVID. So it's not that women so much are not dressing up anymore, but the way they're dressing, it looks actually quite different from the way we used to get dressed pre-pandemic. That's so interesting. Did you have to change kind of in 2020 and 2021 to, I feel like everyone was chasing athleisure wear? Like, did you have to do like fancy athleisure wear or like just tops? Uh, Like, what was that? (laughs) So yes, we definitely leaned into the message of, you know, kind of, 
business on the top, party on the bottom. I think we were calling it mullet dressing. And so we definitely saw top sales increase, bottom sales were declining and all of that. But I think our biggest transformation as a business was leaning into this concept that we're now calling power casual. And so, you know, what is power casual? I think if if most of the clothing we were selling before the pandemic was um, tailored suits and, and dresses and skirts, so call it you know, business formal and business casual. And then you've got kind of casual all the way at the bottom. So that's like jeans and sweatpants and whatnot. Then what we've introduced as a, as a business is this idea in the middle called power casual, which is you're not in kind of whatever you'd be wearing on Saturdays and Sundays, but you're also not dressing up as though you're going into a board meeting. It's something in between. And I think actually the kind of relaxed pant that you you just showed us, right? Coupled with the jacket on top, that is like very much a signature look for the power casual dress code. And I think the jacket is now becoming this like all important signifier because if you take off the jacket, which, you know, let me just do right now, it's kind of just like, it's it's just a knit top and I would be rolling around the floor with my kids in this and it's it's machine washable. It's very easy. As soon as I put my jacket on, it's I'm getting down to business with Emily. So, um, <laughs> you know, I think, I think that's, that's been the interesting transition we've made at a business, but as a business, we also made a ton of mistakes. Like, I think we were like, oh my gosh, sweatpants sales are, you know, skyrocketing. We should make sweatpants. And we did. And let me tell you, they bombed. And so I think that's just like another lesson for us, which is, you know, stick to what you're good at. Um, and that's what customers come to you for. I didn't know the term power casual until right now. And now I feel like it actually describes my look at all times. Yes, right. This like is legitimately that is. an outfit that I yeah. wear all yeah. the time. Like I, I can drive to drop my kids off in these because I live in the suburbs and I can go pick them up in this and feel super comfortable. Yeah. And I don't feel silly. Like I'm like overdressed for whatever I'm doing at school and I feel comfortable. I feel cool. Like I feel like, yeah, I am getting down to business. Yeah. But you're like, yeah, she's, she's, she has it together. I mean, she has a jacket on, you know? <laughs> Look how pulled together she is. That is a no, jacket. No, that's exactly right. That is a jacket. That's a tailored jacket. <laughs> <laughs> well, you have pioneered all sorts of amazing programs alongside with launching the business, which I love so much. Even pre-pandemic, you had offered to dress women who were running for office, which is so smart. It's just not something that people think about that of course they're not ready to dress for it. I mean, and the response you got, well, tell us about the response that you got when you launched it. It was crazy. And, and to be clear, I, uh, I think this all started with Cynthia Nixon declaring her, gu her gubernatorial run for New York governor. And I actually saw her, my co-founder and I were having lunch at a cafe and I saw her walk into the cafe and I said, I'm going to go walk over and, and pitch her on MM. And I said, Hey, Cynthia, you know, love sex in the city. Always been a Miranda fan. I know you're going to be on the campaign trail a lot. I think you should wear MM Lafleur. And she was very nice about it. She says, sounds lovely. Like, you know, here's my card, contact my stylist, blah, blah, blah. And long story short, she wore us I mean, I want to say 90% of the campaign trail and she looked fantastic doing it. And I think that was kind of the beginning, the inklings of what was uh, to come. And we started seeing MM on a lot of Congresswomen, a lot of senators, and I shouldn't say a lot because there aren't that many female senators, but, you know, comparatively, yes, exactly. <laughs> by percentage, uh, huge, By percentage, yes. we saw them on some. And I was like, you know, I think... I think our clothes are, and, and they pull really long hours, right? And they're having to travel from point A to point B all the time, but they also need to get put together. And I was like, clearly 
our clothes are suited for that. And so when the 2020 election campaign was coming, uh, election was coming up, we said, and, and so much of what we wanted to do always as a company is get more women to run for office, regardless of what party they belong to. And so we said, hey, women, women out there, wherever you are on the ballot, up and down, you know, I think local coroner uh, was actually a role that is an elected official. Uh, and so we said, you know, wherever you are on the ballot, if you're running for office, we will rent you the clothes, come sign up, let us take at least this pain off of your, your mind. Um, and we had, I think, 1,500 responses. It, it was incredible. It kind of, it, it really blew it out of the water. But I think a lot of the exciting things that happened around that, and, you know, we heard from women who I don't think people think of as obvious politicians. Um, you know, one that particularly stands out in my mind is, is a woman who wrote to us from Rhode Island. Um, she was saying, I'm a, a single mom of two. I, I live on the poverty line. I definitely couldn't afford your clothes, but I think it's really important for Rhode Island to hear from women like me. And so I'm going to make a run for it. And this is going to make it that much easier for me to be on the campaign trail. So thank you. You know, we heard from from kind of just individuals all across the the gamut. And I, you know, I'm happy to say I think we we our success rate was very high. I think it was something like 30, 37% of women actually got elected to office. So that was really exciting. And, you know, I think a, a moment that will stick with me is actually AOC tweeted about this campaign. And I think she summed it up better than I ever could have. She said, you know, when you're running for office, getting people to imagine you as uh, a politician that can represent you, that is a huge part of winning the campaign and clothing goes a long way in being able to tell that story. So, you know, we were so excited to be able to, to contribute in our very, very small way, even though there's a, there's a long way to go before we actually get to parity in government. <laughs> no, I love that so much. When you launched that campaign, I was still like more actively working in politics. And I remember thinking, oh my goodness, that is so smart. They're my idols. Oh, like they just you. thought of something that is the one of the huge barriers to actually letting women in. Like, I want to be friends with them. Like, that is amazing. They are my idols. I love that. I love that so much. And recently this year, you sent out a letter as if it was 10 years in the future and the things that you would have accomplished in 10 years. I've never seen a business do that before. I loved it so much. So what was in that letter? You know, it was a press release. So it was an exercise actually that Amazon apparently frequently does. And it's called PRFAQ. So it's press release, frequently asked questions. A friend who actually is an executive at Amazon uh, encouraged me to do this. And she said, you know, it, it's it's just going to give you a better understanding of what your priorities are. And, and she was absolutely right. And my opening statement of this, this PRFAQ was M.M. LaFleur opens uh, a women's workforce center in partnership with Bottomless Closet and the International Rescue Committee, which are two nonprofits that we've worked very closely with over, I want to say six or seven years now. And I ended up sharing this with my team. And I said, you know, I've loved running M.M. over the past decade, but the pandemic was really hard. And, you know, a lot of my closest and most trusted advisors actually told me, you know, Sarah, this would be a really good time for you to sell the business or move on to something else. And I ended up really, really having to listen to that like tiny inner voice. And, and it told me, you know, you love what you do and you're going to stay put, right? And, and this is what you're going to do. And um, if when I think about the next 10 years for me, of course, I want us to be a bigger company. I want us to generate more revenue, more profit. But if I do just that, it won't be enough for me. And there has to be something more than that. And being able to 
touch women beyond our direct customers, like that actually needs to become one of our biggest goals as a business. And hopefully opening this workforce center in collaboration with a partner like Bottomless Closet, um, which is an amazing organization um, that works to get uh, women in the New York City area uh, back into jobs, you know, to be able to do something like that, that would be a true dream come true. So anyway, I shared this with my team, I think it was in October of 22, thinking it, w- it would be just an internal conversation. But then my team kind of said to me, like, this is actually the stuff that really inspired us to want to keep working at MM Lafleur, And so you need to share it with the external world. And so we did this kind of unconventional thing of sharing like a, what is a very internal document with, with our customers. And so that that is the letter. And uh, yeah, I, I, you know, we have a lot of we were talking about sustainability in there, which has a, been a huge part of our business, you know, for the past decade and continue will continue to be and hopefully becoming just an amazing company and, and could continue to stay an amazing company for women to work at. I loved it so much. You know, I obviously love the clothes and I like power casual as we've just been <laughs> very clearly discussing, but people want more now. Like they want to know that the businesses they're supporting support them and they want to know where businesses stand. I have always felt like I like I like to dress by brands that I believe in, that are women founded, that are women designed, because I kind of feel like I have like my armor of my girl squad with me. Yes. I just, it's like very important to me. Like I feel like we're all in it together. Like I have my crew, I have my ladies. And so to put it out there, I thought was so different. I'd never seen anything like it before. Did you get response back from customers beyond what you had heard from before? Yes, we actually, it was one of those moments where this is the funny thing about marketing campaigns. You kind of immediately know whether or not it's a a, a success. And even though this wasn't a marketing campaign, it was more a vision statement sharing. You know, um, I heard from kind of people across the industry saying, I'm going to do this. Like this was really good for me to read. And this was good for me to like pick my head up from the sand. You know, I mean, COVID was obviously difficult for my business, but it's difficult for a lot of people um, in the fashion industry. And, and to say like, what's beyond this? If we, it, you know, fashion is notoriously um, the second most polluting industry after oil and gas. And so most of us who are in this industry are really reckoning with like, like an existential crisis. What is the role that we play in a world where there is already so much? And I think being able to clarify our vision for why we exist, like that, that was a huge part of this exercise and hopefully one that others will, will take on as well. This is a business show, but I just have to ask you about this. So I thought that I had the three closest together children in history you, in fact, have the three closest together children in history. So what has that been like navigating? You're very open about this, you know, essentially going from basically zero children to three. Correct. In a six week time and a six week time span. Yes. So that was insane. It was um, biologically impossible. And I do remember some woman was very confused because she was like, Wait, you gave birth to one and then popped out two, six weeks later. And I was like, you know, I wish the human body worked like that, but it does not. Um, yeah, no, it was a, after a very long struggle with IVF. I'm a, at the risk of being TMI is I have a, a condition called a unicornuate uterus. I have essentially half a uterus and one fallopian tube. Um, and that made it very difficult for me to carry a pregnancy. And so we ended up going down the path of surrogacy on, after multiple um, rounds of IVF and miscarriages. And around the same time, I tried one last round of IVF. Um, 
um, and that round happened to work. And my amazing uh, gestational carrier, Trisha, kept going with her pregnancy, which was two embryos. You know, it was, even the doctor said, you, you, you'd be very lucky if you got one. It's highly unlikely that you would have twins, but somehow that was the round where both of them stuck. And so we had three babies back to back in August and September of 2020. So like that was, yeah, kind of depths of, of the pandemic. And uh, yeah, it's been wild. Uh, I'm sure you can relate. I do feel like I'm just like, I'm just emerging into like semi-consciousness two and a half years later. <laughs> but I've like truly grown so much respect for all the working moms who've come before me because I feel like I'm now living in this post-pandemic era where like hybrid work and like telecommuting and all that is a very acceptable part of work. And to think that some people actually had kids and worked Monday through Friday in an office to me is just like mind blowing. So really newfound appreciation for all the other working moms out there. (laughs) How do you find three of things? Like how do you manage to hack up like three of the same of the same age, like a stroller, for example. Uh, thank you for asking. I hacked uh, my own stroller, and and I need to give full credit to the woman who discovered this and put this on YouTube. But I, I bought like a, it's one of the strollers, very common. But like I actually drilled a hole into them and then attached another seat. I mean, I definitely broke every single warranty rule out there and uh, <laughs> turned it into a triple decker. And that is how my kids get around. You know, yeah, it is. It is just kind of three of everything, and it, it does sound insane, but there is there's some benefit in scale. So um, I think we're finally getting to that point where like the three of them kind of entertain each other. And, you know, if I go up in the morning, I can kind of hear them like singing to each other and talking to each other. So so there's some built-in benefits as well. Oh, that is super cute. I feel like you definitely have to hack to do like a threefer. Like I feel like my kids are close enough in age that I generally had to do two of things. Yes. But, but three, I don't know how you'd how you figured out all the respect on that. <laughs> Thank you. I mean, I actually just remembered and I probably shouldn't share this, but you know, you can't, you can't actually like literally feed three children. And like, everyone's talking about like nursing your baby and like, you know, breastfeeding. And I was like, I was pumping like crazy. And then we would put them all in bottles. And I got actually, uh, our, our nanny found something that is only uh, sold in China. I don't think it's actually sold in the U S cause maybe it's illegal, but you, you, you could like put the bottle in here and then it's like a necklace that you wear around, you put around the baby. And so the baby can feed his, himself herself. And so that is literally how we used to feed our children. And so like any of this, like bonding that you're supposed to do through nursing, like that definitely did not happen for us. I think I've just learned very early on that like the rules do not have to apply and you kind of just need to do whatever works for you. Yeah. We're just at survival. We're just at survival is generally how I feel like about getting through a day. That's right. (laughs) Yes, that is correct. Well, Sarah LaFleur, founder and CEO of Emma LaFleur, thank you so much for joining us on Getting Down to Business. And I think this conversation is also going to be on She Pivot. So we'll see you over there too. Excellent. Such a pleasure, Emily. Big fan. Yes. Thanks so much for joining us. Since Sarah's interview, M.M. LaFleur has announced an exciting partnership with the WNBA's New York Liberty. The partnership is the first of its kind and showcases Sarah's incredible innovation. As part of the multi-year partnership, M.M. LaFleur will outfit head coach Sandy Brondello along with members of the organization's executive leadership team. Be sure to check out the outfits and some of the badass women at the New York Liberty's next game. 
You can also follow Sarah at Sarah M. LaFleur and M.M. LaFleur at M.M. LaFleur on Instagram. Thanks for listening to this Candid Convo episode of She Pivots. Check back in weekly for more conversations with inspiring women. To learn more about our guests, follow us on Instagram at She Pivots the Podcast. Leave a rating and comment if you enjoyed this episode to help others learn about it. A special thank you to our partner, Marie Claire, and the team that made this episode possible. Talk to you next week. She Pivots is hosted by me, Emily Tish sussman produced by Emily Edda Voloshik, with sound editing and mixing from Nina Pollock, and research and planning from Christine Dickison and Hannah Cousins. I endorse She Pivots. Imagine you're a fly on the wall at a dinner between the mafia, the CIA, and the KGB. That's where my new podcast begins. This is Neil Strauss, host of To Live and Die in L.A., and I wanted to quickly tell you about an intense new series about a dangerous spy taught to seduce men for their secrets and sometimes their lives. From Tenderfoot TV, this is To Die For. To Die For is available now. Listen for free on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. Danielle Moody here, host of the Woke AF Daily podcast. We've been with iHeart for a year, and what a year it has been. As we head deeper into 2024 and yet another life-changing election cycle, Woke AF Daily is here to keep you sane and woke. Make Woke AF Daily your podcast destination for 2024 election news and analysis. Listen to Woke AF Daily Season 5 on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Black Effect presents Family Therapy, and I'm your host, Elliot Connie. Jay is the woman in this dynamic who is currently co-parenting two young boys with her former partner, David. David, he is a leader. He just don't want to leave me. But how do you lead a woman? How do you lead in a relationship? Like, what's the blueprint? David, you just asked the most important question. Listen to Family Therapy on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.